NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Tonight on The Readout. Let's think about what we did here. We, we uh, traded a basketball player for a known terrorist, a criminal. He left a Marine behind. Think about it. It's not an equal exchange. At long last, Brittany Griner is home. But hypocritical Republicans are slamming the deal that got it done, while at the same time attacking Griner herself. Also tonight, the outrageous both sidesism from the very unpopular Christian cinema, accusing Democrats of catering to the fringes in Cary Lakes, Arizona, of all places. And after voting 90% of the time with Biden. Plus, he just graduated high school and is moving into the mayor's office. Jalen Smith, who will be the youngest black mayor in America, joins me tonight. And what a way to end the week. Shangela and Bob the Drag Queen from HBO's We're Here join me to talk about their new season and the danger facing the LGBTQ community because of policies and rhetoric from the intolerant right. We begin the readout tonight with the arrival of Brittany Griner on U.S. soil. That's right. Brittany Griner is home. Here she is earlier today arriving in San Antonio, Texas, after she was freed from a Russian prison in exchange for Victor Boot, the convicted Russian arms dealer. We also have new video released by Russian state media that appears to show Griner in the penal colony where she was transferred in mid-November. Few things are more harrowing than seeing a loved one, a friend, a fellow American wrongly detained and held abroad, especially when that country is Russia under Putin's rule. The return of an American from a Russian gulag should be celebrated. It should be separated from politics. It should be a reason to unify, to celebrate. Instead, we're seeing not just mixed reactions, but more of the disturbing, hateful rhetoric that defines the American right. The Biden administration negotiated for the release of two Americans, Greiner and Paul Whelan, a former Marine who has been jailed in Russia since December 2018 on espionage charges, which he and the U.S. government have denied. Whelan is serving a 16-year sentence and did not return home, as did Griner, because according to the White House, it was Griner or no one at all. Cue the performative outrage from Republicans like Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, who tweeted, so POTUS just traded an enemy who smuggles guns and helps shoot Americans for an American who smuggles drugs and shoots basketballs, all while a former U.S. Marine, Paul Whelan, rots in a Russian prison. Let that sink in. The shot at Griner smuggling drugs is false. But since when does truth matter to a man who, according to the January 6th Select Committee, contacted the White House to seek a presidential pardon for his role in attempting to overturn the presidential election results and attempted insurrection that included, checking my notes, guns aimed at Americans, along with a noose brought for the vice president of the United States. Let that sink in. Then we have Kevin McCarthy, who recently helped himself to a state dinner with President Biden eating lobster under a South Lawn tent with the president's son, Hunter. You know, the person McCarthy is sickly obsessed with investigating. And you thought your holiday dinners were awkward. Here's what McCarthy had to say about swapping Griner for Victor Boot using the Russian's nickname, the Merchant of Death. Think about the exchange here. The Merchant of Death 
for a WNBA star who was picked up for marijuana. Okay, so here's the thing. You have these Republicans criticizing Griner's return, claiming Paul Whelan was left behind. But they are conveniently leaving out an important fact. Whelan certainly was left behind by Donald Trump. Whelan was incarcerated in 2018 in Russia during Trump's presidency. He was, in fact, a Trump supporter. According to PBS, Whelan visited Russia often. He had a profile on Russia's equivalent of Facebook. On election night in 2016, he wrote in Russian, onward, President Trump. And on Inauguration Day, he wrote, God save President Trump. In 2019, The Atlantic ran a piece on Whelan's sister. One goal in life was to get President Trump to pay attention to her brother's case. It noted that Paul Whelan used a court appearance in Moscow in 2019 to beg for Trump's assistance. Tweet your intentions, he pleaded from inside a glass cage. Yet Trump stayed silent. Fast forward to Thursday when Donald Trump Jr. joined the pylon on Twitter, saying the Biden administration was apparently worried that their DEI score would go down if they freed an American Marine, using the shorthand for diversity, equity, and inclusion, which, of course, the right hates because, you know, black people. Elena Plott, the writer of that Atlantic piece, clapped back, tweeting, Paul Whelan begged your father merely for a tweet about him, adding that the Trump White House did not respond to her request for comment on her story. None of this stopped Trump himself from ranting on pretend Twitter, Truth Social. Why wasn't former Marine Paul Whelan included in this totally one-sided transaction? What a stupid and unpatriotic embarrassment for the USA. Okay, are we really going to pretend that Trump cares about members of the military? Mr. Bone Spurs, who called Americans who died in war losers and suckers, who ridiculed John McCain, a prisoner of war in Vietnam, saying, quote, I like people who weren't captured, unquote, who has mocked the military his entire, entire life. We gonna really believe he gives a damn about the military? You all have to wonder if any of these people attacking Biden even knew who Paul Whelan was. According to a 2020 New Yorker piece, Trump had raised Whelan's detention once with Putin, along with the case of Trevor Reed, another former Marine who the Biden administration helped to release earlier this year. But before yesterday's Truth Social post, Trump never mentioned Paul Whelan publicly. But you know who does? President Biden, each and every time. As did Griner's wife, Sherelle Griner, on the day that Britney flew back home. As all that Trump did, meanwhile, was just ignore him and leave the former Marine behind. Joining me now is Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas. Congresswoman, um, Brittany Griner uh, is originally from your district. She is from Texas. Talk to me a little bit about this. I know that you've been in touch with the family and trying to be involved and trying to get her out. Give me your reaction both to her, her liberation and the rights hypocrisy regarding her liberation. Well, Joy, it's good to be with you this evening. And it is an exciting two days, one for the announcement yesterday of her being freed. And of course, in the wee hours of the morning, as I was advised that she landed safely at uh, San Antonio and then on to Brook Army Medical Center. Uh, I was involved with Brittany Griner from the moment that she was captured some days after uh, the Olympics and as well um, some days uh, somewhat before uh, the invasion of Russia. I was in Lithuania at that time. And once determining that this hometown girl had been taken wrongly, nastily, and destroying uh, her potential life and success, having gone to Russia to play basketball, having done that for seven years, we got involved. 
uh, pushing and pushing to get her determined to be uh, a person wrongfully uh, held. Once the United States does that, which was done in mid-spring, as everyone was trying to push that designation, then we became and did the strong fight. I never saw Kevin McCarthy or Congressman Perry or anyone of that vintage or that persuasion or that view, uh, more consumed, of course, with January 6, 2021, uh, and not consumed with trying to free Brittany Griner. Um, I never saw any of them. And so they would not be aware or involved with what was actually happening. And when President Biden, who I applaud, and his strategic hostage negotiating team that I applaud in the State Department, began in mid-spring to ramp it up for how we could get Brittany Griner, Trevor Reed, and Paul Whelan home. Many people should remember Trevor Reed came home sad and disappointed that he was not able to get Brittany Griner or Paul Whelan. It was one for one. Trevor Reed was a Marine who had been held as well. And he came home to a loving family. That loving family embraced Brittany Griner's family as we have embraced Paul Whelan's family. And we have been fighting ever since. Now, this story, Donald Trump Jr., as his father, always without facts, election deniers, and probably thinking January 6th was a picnic. We tried to get both, even to the extent of having someone in the back pocket that it could be two for two. This is a despot, a vicious leader, killing people in Ukraine, incarcerating and locking up Russians who oppose the war. And we had start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. And everyone should know, that President Putin asked for someone that is a murderer that is held in Germany. Let me say this. No one knows the story of Paul, uh, of the uh, weapons dealer, if you will. Um, and as the facts would tell them, he was sentenced to 25 years. He saved, served 11 to 16 years. I don't know. They can't remember the exact number. But in actuality, um, his weapons might have been used to kill Americans. He has not killed Americans. I'm not saying he's not a nasty, bad guy. But I will tell you that I believe that Americans should know that the sovereignty of their nation will always be behind them and they'll never be forgotten. Brittany Griner deserved this fight that we put forward. So does Paul Whelan. And when we introduced the legislation, we introduced it for him. When they went forward and negotiated, they were negotiating for him. And it was Putin who said, you take this deal, Joy, or you get nothing. I wish these Republicans who are about to take leadership in the House would begin to tell the truth to the American people, because maybe we might get one bipartisan action done if they would learn to tell the truth. Uh, and Trevor Reed, I should note, has been very critical of the Republicans who've been talking a lot of stuff because they didn't do anything uh, to help him Absolutely. either. And I believe that Victor Boot had six more years left on his sentence. Brittany Griner had nine years. He would have gotten out quietly while she was still locked up in a gulag and they would have said probably nothing. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, really appreciate you. Thank you. And if you're in touch with the family, please let us know. We'd love to have you come back on with uh, a member of the family. All right, let's bring in Evelyn Farkas, executive director of the McCain Institute and former deputy assistant secretary of defense. And I hope 
hopefully we're able to hear the Congresswoman, um, Evelyn. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to, you know, this Victor Boot piece of it, the Republicans are pretending like they, you know, really even care about this case either. Uh, according to reports, while he was um, incarcerated, he said this to the Russian uh, Kremlin run Russia today. This is what he said, Victor Boot. While my fellow inmates were sim- uh, my, mostly my fellow inmates were sympathetic toward Russia. The, he was in a red state prison. Or at least if they knew nothing about it, they would ask me the questions, he said. Boot linked their attitude to Illinois um, being a red belt state. So he was in a sort of red part of Illinois. And he found that the right wing incar- fellow incarcerated people liked Russia and were on Russia's side. Uh, talk to me a little bit about this fake outrage that you're seeing on the right. Yeah, I mean, Joy, it's really upsetting because at the end of the day, these are both Americans. These American families are are hurting. And, you know, the, the Griner family should be allowed to rejoice. And we should not, no one should be politicizing this. I, I just want to say one thing. I I have the view, and of course, I we won't know till we have the archives on the Putin regime, you know, after it topples and we open them up. But the reality is, I think it's very likely that Vladimir Putin was never going to to trade Paul Whelan, that he always knew that he would trade Brittany Griner for Victor Boot. He wanted this guy because Victor Boot is frankly very closely associated with the Russian intelligence community. He, in effect, was an arm of the Russian intelligence agency, and he was conducting these arms deals for the Russian government. So the reality is that I think that that Putin was just waiting for the right moment when he would get a public relations coup when he needed a boost in his public. And that's what he needs now because of how badly the war is going in Ukraine. And, you know, as far as the U.S. political scene, I just really wish that people would allow the families to be happy, the ones where the 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 obviously the the hostages have come home. And for the other family, you know, the Whalen family and many others, I mean, because of course there are Americans being held all over the world by regimes like the Russian government, that that we all rally around and try to help get them out. And, and, well, I mean, the challenge for the right, of course, is that this is a black woman. She's LGBTQ. She was for Black Lives Matter. So uh, they actually didn't care if she stayed in there for the rest of her life. They didn't care. Um, they, and they aren't happy for her. She's not a fellow American to them, I think, is would be fair to say. Um, but this is the reaction that we've seen in past cases. Donald Trump, uh, when Otto Warmbier was, was, was snatched by the North Koreans, he said he took Kim Jong-un at his word about whether or not Warmbier was tortured. So Trump believed Kim Jong-un over about the treatment of an American. And I just even go back, back when, you know, North Korea had two other women, um, Gordon Liddy, G. Gordon Liddy, made a racist crack about these two women, um, these two reporters, Laura Ling and Yuna Lee. He mm. made a disgusting joke about them. Rush Limbaugh wondered if Clinton hit on them when President Clinton was able to free them. Um, and but, but they weren't attacked themselves. I mean, they actually went on to really have successful you know, careers. Um, Laura Link to host an e-show and Una Lee um, got a book deal. You know, they weren't personally attacked, but the president, the Democratic president was attacked. This is a that is a consistent piece of it. But this time the right isn't just isn't attacking just Biden. They're attacking her. They're attacking Brittany Reiner. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's despicable. I think right now, unfortunately, I mean, you the, people like this should not be used as pawns. And frankly, it's it's the far right agenda, which is 
essentially, you know, very white nationalistic that is uniting with the Russian autocratic, you know, racist and misogynistic um, and anti-LGBTQ agenda. So I don't, you know, the, our politicians should understand very clearly that when they side with the far right and they make these comments, in essence, they're aiding and abetting our, our enemy, our adversary in Moscow. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, it's why they, uh, what, what did they tweet? Uh, Elon, Kanye, and I don't even remember who the third person was, but that's who, that's who, they're, that's who they're with. Well, there they go. Uh, Evelyn Farkas, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout. What am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. Kristen Cinema demands to remain the center of Senate attention. She will not be ignored. Criticized for enabling some of the worst Republican impulses, the senator sub-labeled all the Karens in a jeans jacket is now quitting the Democratic Party. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. This has been a celebratory week for Democrats. On Tuesday, the party defied the odds and held on to that Georgia Senate seat, giving them a 51-seat majority and all the perks that go along with it. Well, that was until Senator Kirsten Sinema woke up this morning and said, hold my beer. The Arizona senator announced today that she's ditching the Democratic Party to be an independent, saying that she never promised to be a guaranteed vote for Democrats, despite the fact that she voted with President Biden more than 90 percent of the time. People like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. Both parties have created this uh, kind of requirement or a pull towards the edges that you just unthinkingly support all of one party's viewpoints. It's made it difficult to find folks who are willing to work together and solve problems. <laughs> Senate Democrats uh, appeared rather unfazed by the shakeup. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said, Kirsten is independent. That's how she's always been. I believe she's a good and effective senator, and I'm looking forward to a productive session in the new Democratic majority Senate. Also, the White House said they have every reason to expect that they will continue to work successfully with her. The Arizona Democratic Party, on the other hand, blasted cinema, saying she may now be registered as an independent, but she's shown she answers to corporations and billionaires, not Arizonans. Her party registration means nothing if she continues to not listen to her constituents. Now, for those who may be asking, what does this actually change about the current makeup of the Senate? The answer is maybe not that much, as long as she doesn't caucus with Republicans, which she told Politico she would not do. 
What it does do is make the upcoming 2024 Senate race far more complicated if she chooses to run for re-election. And that's still an if. I mean, Cinema could avoid a primary battle as an independent, a move that would really complicate Democrats' prospects in 2024 as Cinema's seat comes up for re-election. And the Arizona Republican Party could easily put up the likes of a Carrie Lake or a Doug Ducey. Joining me now is Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and MSNBC contributor. Let's dispense with the first thing um, here, um, Kurt. You know, she's saying that she's it, that she claims that both parties cater to the fringes and saying they've not demonstrated much tolerance for diversity of thought. First of all, she's in Arizona. <laughs> Carrie Lake and, you know, Blake Masters are. So she can't really possibly believe that. So let's just dispense with that. She's just saying that because she thinks that sounds good. It's performative. The idea that she'd caucus with Republicans, though, she'd be a nobody. She'd be one of the minority party. She wouldn't get to hold her gavels. She chairs two subcommittees. She has to caucus with the Democrats, right? Because that's the only way she gets gavels. Yeah, obviously. Um, you know, and, and again, I think this is the thing. In listening to what she had to say, I didn't hear any specific policy differences uh, with Democrats. That I, So it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, this is kind of the both sidesism at its worst when you say that the extremes of both parties. It's such a popular phrase that people use. And I'm sorry, but there's only one party in America that tried to overthrow its own government. Mm -hmm. That was the Republican Party. There's only one party in America that's trying to take away the votes of women in this country. That's the Republican Party. There's only one party in America that has an active effort to try to suppress voters, suppress communities of color from being able to participate in the democratic process. That's the Democratic Party. So to go out there and say, well, the extremes on both sides, that is such a nonsense. One party's fighting to try to get more rights, to try to have lower health care, to try to address climate change, to try to rein in gun violence in America, to try to address income inequality and social injustice. The other party is trying to stop all of those things. That's the line. That's the difference. So cinema's you know, take on this going out there saying, well, both sides are so extreme is such BS and you're right. It's 100 percent performative. It's performative. I mean, and look, 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 first of all, she she sounds like Elon Musk because she takes money from people like Elon Musk. She got the maximum from several GOP donors, according to FEC filings. She's like raking in money from big pharma and rich people. And so she talks just like Elon Musk. That's the kind of crap he says. But I, I want to go back and just go through some of the things that she has said about people who do what she's doing. Uh, back, uh, this is in 2003, when Joe Lieberman did exactly what she's doing and became an independent, partly because he couldn't get reelected as a Democrat. So he switched parties, make it easier for himself. She said, quote, he's a shame to Democrats that at the time she was a social worker and organizer. She said, I don't even know why he's running. He seems to want to get Republicans voting for him. What kind of strategy is that? He's just pathetic. Uh, a little bit about her. She wasn't a Democrat to begin with. She was a Ralph Naderite back in 2000. She was a Green Party person. So she came in. She used to rail against capitalism's almighty dollar. But now she welcomes the contributions of industry groups and corporate political action committees. She's raised at least $3 million from CEOs, business executives, investors, lobbies, finance sector workers, campaign finance, etc. So she was a she was a Ralph Nader person who attacked other people who did what she's doing. And now she's I don't know what she is. <laughs> Isn't the reality here that because she shifted her personality so much, she can't get reelected. Ruben Gallego is polling 74 to 16 over her in a potential primary. Isn't what this is about that she cannot get reelected as a Democrat. And so she wants to do the same thing Lieberman did and try to win as an independent. Yeah, I mean, let's just look for a second at the political environment. We're coming off of a historic performance by Democrats 
in the midterm elections. We're coming off of a historic win in Georgia that gave us 51 Democrat at the moment votes in the Senate. So why on earth would you pick now as the moment to go, you know, after watching the voters universally reject Trumpism, MAGA extremism, I'm going to leave the Democratic Party, the party that just won a bunch of elections, especially in your own state of Arizona, which was a battleground state that we saw Democrats sweep those key races in the Senate governorship, Mark Kelly getting reelected, Carrie Lake losing. Why would you pick now to leave unless you know that as a Democrat, you don't stand a chance against Congressman Ruben Gallego. You know that in a primary, Gallego would wipe the floor with you. And in the general, Gallego would be able to generate the younger Latino vote in a way that no other candidate in Arizona would be able to do so. This is obviously just a craven grab for political relevance and trying to extend your, your political lifeline. And I think it's just going to backfire massively. And, and wait, right, and I'm not of the, and look, let's, by the way, she's the one person, she refused to get involved in getting rid of the filibuster to pass voting rights. Well, you can see why. If you pass really solid voting rights legislation, that helps voters of color. In her state, that means Latinos. And as you said, young Latinos are not going to be good for her in her reelect. She's going to have a problem getting reelected as a Democrat. If she runs as an independent, in her mind, I think she thinks she can kind of do what, um, uh, what what's happening in Alaska, what's happening in Vermont, where you have mm -hmm. independents who can sort of push the, one of the two parties to stand down. But Democrats aren't going to, they don't have to stand down. Ruben Gallego could run, and then she and the Republican would split that vote, and Ruben Gallego will be the next senator. I, I think she might be Yeah, that's exactly right, wrong. Joy. Well, yeah, because, listen, the only pool of voters that she can really rely to pull from is maybe those McCain Republican voters. But right. she may be taking that away from the Republican on the ballot, not Correct. from Ruben Gallego. Gallego's going to be able to tap into a massive pool of voters, a well that, frankly, no one so far in Arizona has been able to do so. And that's an advantage that, that is, is not going to be nullified by whatever cinema decides to do here. And by the way, it's going to be a presidential year. I mean, you're going to have presidential level turnout. I think she's going to be able to have her fun for a year. And then in 2014, everybody get to know how to spell it. G-A-L-L-E-G-O. That's all I'm trying to say. Kurt Bardella also has two L's. See, the two L folks are winning. Uh, thank you, Kurt Bardella. I appreciate you, my friend. Coming up, uh, oh, before we go, by the way, uh, to break, uh, to, to talk a little karma. And karma is a boomerang. Um, we now can report to you that Florida State Representative Joseph Harding, the sponsor of the state's infamous Don't Say Gay law, he has resigned in disgrace after being indicted for wire fraud, money laundering and other charges for his alleged role in a COVID relief fraud scam. Oh, my gosh. Don't say thief, Poppy. Wow. And still ahead. Wow. I recently spoke with two of the fabulous co-hosts of HBO's We're Here about the recent rise in anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and violence, especially targeting drag shows. It's going to be a great, great break. So I have a great, great conversation. So stay right there. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On November 19th, Anderson Lee Aldrich walked into Club Q in Colorado Springs and targeted an innocent group of people out having a good time, enjoying a harmless drag show. His hate claimed five lives in the deadliest attack on LGBTQ people in the U.S. since the Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016. The latest mass shooting comes in a year filled with an explosion of anti-LGBTQ sentiment and politically motivated attacks. According to analysis done by NPR, over the past two years, state lawmakers introduced at least 306 bills targeting trans people more than in any previous period. A majority of this legislation, 86 percent, focuses on trans youth. Meanwhile, drag shows, a performative art form that has roots in Shakespeare when female roles were performed by men, has become a popular target of conservative politicians who have proposed banning children from drag events and even criminally charging parents who take their kids to one. Amid all of that unbridled hatred, one show has emerged as a beacon of hope, light, and love for the LGBTQ community. We're here, an unscripted HBO docuseries that follows renowned drag queens Bob the Drag Queen, Eureka O'Hara, and Shangela is back for its third season, and the queens are traveling deeper into conservative America to spread even more love and understanding about the LGBTQ community through their vibrant art. This season, they have faced a notable uptick in hostility. Here's just a taste of what they experienced in St. George, Utah. St. George is not in your face. Baby, they are behind your back. We got permission to do our drag show in the town square. We did everything right. We got the permits. And then we find out that apparently City Hall is entertaining the idea of pulling our permit. Michelle Tanner, St. George City Councilwoman, she sent a letter talking about all of her concerns and HBO rated TVMA drag shows being held outside our public children's museum. Of course, you know, social media is a huge force in getting people riled up by instilling fear. No, they're worried that we're going to convert the Mormons to gays. Like, Mom, you can't convert anyone to gay. If that was the case, we'd be doing missions, too. And joining me now from HBO's We're Here are DJ Shangela Pierce and Bob the Drag Queen. Thank you both for being here. I want to shout out, by the way, Eureka O'Hara, who uh, couldn't be here today. But uh, you all three are like my friends in my head. Um, so I have to say that when I, you know, as much as I love this show, and I think I might have tweeted to you guys before that literally I just watch the episodes and cry all my makeup off. So I have to try it out to watch it after the show because my makeup is off. Um, it's such an uplifting show. But I have to be honest, I was nervous when I heard you guys were going out for another season, given what's happening out there right now in the world. So I do want to go to you first, uh, DJ, uh, which now I know your real name, DJ. Um, were you nervous about going out back into Red America, given the cultural and political climate that is targeting drag shows? Well, first, I want to say, Joy, I'm also a huge fan of yours. So thank you so much for having us <laughs> on today. Um, and people ask me a lot, like, were you afraid? being a part of this show this season, because the show is very reflective 
of what uh, the sentiment right now in a lot of these conservative spaces is in America. So um, we get that question a lot. Were you nervous? I was not nervous. I grew up in a small town, a small conservative town in Paris, Texas. Uh, I'm not unfamiliar with this kind of rhetoric, uh, with this kind of lack of visibility for the LGBTQ plus community. And so it felt like, you know, this is the life that I've lived before. I'm not afraid. Uh, I think that we, Bob, Eureka and I are in a very unique position where we have the opportunity to go out and shed a light and help highlight people's unique stories in these spaces. So I wasn't afraid, but I was very grateful that I had my sisters, you know, right alongside me. And, uh, but you know, these, this, these experiences are not unique to just us. These are the experiences that our drag kids, the people that we partner with have to go through every day in these conservative spaces. And if they're not afraid, then we should be either. And if they are, we're showing up to say, you are not alone. Yeah. And Bob, I know one of you, one of you, uh, y'all's drag kids is in, was in Orlando and was a Pulse nightclub survivor, as is our friend of the show and my friend, Brandon Wolf. And, you know, he and I, we talk all the time about, you know, the legacy of that. When what happened in Colorado Springs happened, we had him on and he was angry for very good reason that we haven't fixed anything between what happened at Pulse and what happened in Colorado Springs. Talk a little bit about that, of having somebody in your show when you guys did go to Orlando to that community, which can be very conservative, too, and having that trauma layered on top of all this this other trauma. You know, sometimes if they, if they can't uh, push us into the closet and push us into our homes through legislature, um, some people will just uh, take up arms and do it with violence, um, with uh, gun violence, because they know how easy it is to have access to um, weapons and how easy it is to get into these spaces. Um, and it's to scare us from going out. It's to, it's to try to prevent us from being in the world. And it was really uh, emotional to to have a, a, a post survivor. He was a Shangela's drag kid um, in Orlando. It was it was more than emotional. It was really um, gut wrenching, um, especially to hear how you know a lot of us we go to these clubs because it's the only place we did feel safe. A lot of us go to these clubs is the only place you can hold your partner's hand without feeling judged because it's the only place you can you know. Dance the way you want to dance, dress the way you want to dress, be who you want to be, um, love who you want to love without uh, fear of being judged. Um, and then when these places become, when they, when they start feeling unsafe, um, I think that's a real um, crime. More than just cr- literally criminal, but it's also a crime to humanity in general. Yeah. And it is terrorism. And, you know, and DJ, talk a little bit about that, because, you know, Florida is where they actually have a law that prohibits teachers from just showing their picture of their loved one if they happen to be LGBTQ and they're married to a same sex partner or talking about their own lives and experiences as teachers. Like they actually have a don't say gay law in that whole state, you know, and I just wonder if for you, do you feel like we are sliding backwards um, when they take that and then go to the next thing of saying, if you're just reading storybooks to kids in drag, suddenly you're a danger, you're a threat uh, in places like Texas and Florida and other red states. I would ask anyone listening to this show, do you feel like we're going backwards when you hear about books still being banned in children's uh, libraries or not just children, high school libraries and all that? When do you feel we're going backwards looking at the laws that are coming against women right now? Do you feel we're going backwards in not being able to put your partner's photo up in your classroom and just allow that sharing that part of your life like every other teacher 
when we look to move toward a place of equality and progression, I would ask anyone listening, do you feel like we're going backwards? I know my answer, and that is a yes. And that's why it's so important, I think, that we have a show like we're here, but just in general, that we are all trying to stand together as a community to stand up for what's right, to stand up for the progress that we've made to get to where we are in the world and looking at how we're under attack right now. I specifically work with, in Florida, with one of my drag kids, Jamie, who is a school teacher, who has a beautiful young trans daughter that she is every day having to fight for, as most parents do feel, you have to stand up for your children when they don't have a voice for themselves. And it, I really want to live in a world that is about equality and inclusion and visibility and, uh, and equal rights for everybody. And, and it's not like that. You see it right now with legislature in Florida and in Texas that are specifically targeting the LGBTQ community. When we think, Lord, we don't made it to a lovely place. You know, we, we have the right to marry. We have this, but all of these freedoms that so many before us have worked to secure, they're all under attack right now. They're all under attack. Yeah. And that's this show is important. I think that's why the work that we're doing is important. But at, for every person listening, it's important that you also understand that you have a voice and you got to be heard. Well, I can't wait to binge the series again. I'm going to do it after I take my makeup off so that I don't ruin all the good work of my glam squad. <laughs> so DJ Shangela Pierce, Bob the Drag Queen, I love you all. Thank you for doing what you do. Much, 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 much love. Thank you. And we're going to be watching We're Here on HBO. Binge it, binge it, binge it. You'll feel good. Okay. Thank you. How fun was that? Oh, my gosh. They were great. Okay, who won the week is still ahead. But first, I want to introduce you to my new friend, the youngest black mayor in U.S. history. From Earl, Arkansas, ladies and gentlemen, mayor-elect Jalen Smith. He is here to talk with us right after this quick break. The youngest American voters, Generation Z, showed up and showed out in the midterm elections. And the most diverse generation in America isn't just turning out to vote. They are taking their place at all levels of government. On Tuesday, while the eyes of the nation were on Georgia Senate runoff, 18-year-old Jalen Smith, a recent graduate of Earl High School in Earl, Arkansas, made history when he was elected the youngest black mayor in America. I think the youngest mayor, period. Mayor-elect Smith will now lead his hometown of just under 2,000 people while attending Arkansas State University Mid-South. Mayor-elect Jalen Smith joins me now. Congratulations, Mr. Mayor-elect. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I got to ask you, um, you're going to be going to college. I believe you live at home right now with your mom, but you're also going to be the mayor. Um, first of all, what made you run for mayor? When I was started in high school with student government, with the student government association and within the organization, we made a difference within the school district. We was involved not only, you know, within the school district, we was involved within the community and that organization drove me here where I am today. So, and, and I, I read a little bit about your bio that you said you have a learning disability, makes it harder for you to do well on Saturnized tests. You said that that's something that motivates you and that you think it's significant in, in you becoming a politician. Talk about that. Well, with my learning disability in high school, it was kind of difficult for me to learn as far as like math reading because I wasn't, I wasn't interested in it. So whenever I wasn't interested, it made me even harder to learn. So with student government, I was into it. So 
I was, you know, full of strong learning quickly, do whatever what I need to do. And so with that learning disability, not only, not, not only in high schools, I was a student girl, but I was an advocate for learn, students with a learning disability, you know, because yeah. it's a way that, you know, when we take a, you know, in, in special education, when we take our classes, we're being taught below grade level. But when we take our state standardized tests, we're being uh, tested on grade level. So the people right. was expecting us to fail anyway. So how can you, you know, expect for a student to progress when you're not when you're teaching below grade level and you want to when you want them to take a state standardized test? And I wasn't right. really happy about that. I took it to the state level. I took it to the school district, and we and we fought for that. That's amazing. So what are your priorities going to be? Because I know that you consulted um, with the with mayors across Arkansas, including Frank Scott Jr., the Little Rock mayor, and he's the head of the African-American Mayors Association. So you've put together your priorities. What are your priorities as mayor? First, public safety, uh, beautifying the city, abandoned houses, building new houses, grocery store transportation, uh, flood flooding issues, streets, you know, just basically making our city, you know, better with those with those so those are targets those are needs public safety is the most important need that we you know we need to get up and because we don't have a 24 7 police department so we need to improve our public safety number one well you know i have to ask this as a mom what was your mom's reaction <laughs> when, when you were elected she was very excited uh she cried for a minute but she was very excited about the amazing movement I'm sure that she is very, very proud of you. And you defeated your opponent by 52 votes, 235 to 183. What's your message to voters? Because obviously every vote counts. My message to voters, you know, uh, get out and vote. It's very important that you get out and vote for the person you know that's going to do the job. You know, when you when you come down, when you come down to vote, and you look at you look at the person's demographics, you look at their bio, yeah. you look at what the person doing, what they're doing, what they're trying to do, and you get on them. You know, if a person is driven, dedicated, committed, passionate, and they're going full force every time you see them, that's a person you need to look at. That's a person you need to vote for. You know, and all and and to be honest, about voting is all about listening to. Uh, the people, you know, when you go out to yeah. vote, like well, my candidates, you know, I listen to the people, you know. Well, I you I heard about you from Chris Jones, of course, who ran for governor of Arkansas. He's the person yeah, who first told me about yeah. you. He's very impressed with you. He's a rocket scientist. He's a great guy for you to keep in touch with. But I'm going to keep you around for just a minute, Mayor-elect Jalen Smith. I want you to hang out with me because we are going to play Who Won the Week. And that's coming up next. Don't go anywhere, everyone. All right, guys, we've made it to the end of another very busy week, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes, who won the week? Back with me is the mayor-elect of Earl, Arkansas, 18-year-old Jalen Smith. Jalen, you have not played this game before, but I'm just going to ask you a very simple question because that are, those are the rules. Who, in your view, won the week? Senator Warnock. Senator Warnock. Okay, he won the week, absolutely. And give me a reason why. Senator Warnock uh, won the week because he, you know, when he's on his campaign, he worked and he worked hard. You know, he pushed to get the, you know, to get the people changed down there in Georgia, and that's very impressive. You know, I got a guy like that that's driven, dedicated, committed for the people. That's just so amazing. 
I actually think that is an excellent choice. And I want to say that, you know, I could easily pick you, my friend, and say that you won the week because you, as an 18-year-old, winning the race as well uh, in the town of Earl, which is named after Joseph Francis Earl, who served in the Confederate Army during the Civil War and was later a Klansman. I mean, the switch in that city, the change in Arkansas, and you are the change we seek. So I would say that you are my tie for who won the week. But tied with you, I'm similar to you, it's the people of Georgia. The people of Georgia won the week because they avoided this and got that. Let's take a look. <laughs> wow. Let's dance because we deserve it. But tomorrow we go back down into the valley to do the work. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? I never knew that. So I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. <laughs> They avoided embarrassment. They elected a good man. Uh, they're going to have Raphael Warnock for six years, and they don't have to worry about vampires and werewolves, because who wants to deal with that? Mayor-elect Jalen Smith of Earl, Arkansas. Congratulations, my young friend. Come back anytime. Thank you for also winning the week. And that is tonight's readout. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.